You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Good day, everybody. Randy Bolander here on the Third Cup of Coffee. Glad to have you with us. Teaching this morning from the bridge where we talked about the idea of spiritual hunger. You know, some people just are honest and say, I don't feel hungry. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I feel fine. What's that all about? Knowing that there is a part of you that only God can fill, how come there are times when we don't even seem to long for it at all? This message on hunger is a bit of a preamble leading into a series on the Holy Spirit that will start in two weeks. We hope that it benefits you greatly. And if you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to see you some Sunday morning. is we have an announcement to make Caleb you suave dog okay I would like to point out this is we're we're two in a row here Caleb Caleb and Julia are engaged so for those of you that are keeping score race to the altar now has three contestants okay and so if you're right on the edge there thinking, do I want to get in this race? It, it's, it's good to be in it, isn't it? Congratulations, guys. Now that we have you on the spot, do we have a rough date, rough time? It's been six days. Okay, so that's no. Okay, all right. It's been six days, so maybe tomorrow we'll have a date. I don't know. Congratulations. We are super excited for you. Uh, welcome. See them afterwards and uh, love on them for a minute. Welcome to church, where my goal for you this morning is that you walk out hungry. Now, there's two ways this can happen. I can just preach forever, and you're hungry, you know, you're like, "Eh." the other way is going to be that I can paint a picture for you that you want so bad that when you leave, you go, I want that. I'm going to try and do the second way. I'm going to try and paint a picture and describe something for you and encourage you to something that when this is done, you want it. Because this is why. This is the thing that has struck me so strong this week as I've studied for this. Hunger is greater than performance. Think about that for a second. Hunger before the Lord is greater than performance. Now, I don't think I've ever asked you to repeat something or respond in a certain way, but I feel so strongly about this that unless you think that's completely ridiculous, I would like all of you to say, ooh, that's good. Okay, I'm just priming the pump, okay? Because it really is. Now, some of you said, ooh, that's good, and you even like that idea of hunger for God meaning more than performance. But just liking it doesn't mean you believe it. Because for all of our desire to show God our hunger, we mostly think about our performance. And behavior displays belief. How you behave displays how you believe. If somewhere someone is keeping a tally of who I quote, one of the people I quote the most is a pastor from Hell's Kitchen, Manhattan, New York City, John Tyson. I talk about him a lot. He said this this week. How you live is what you believe. Everything else is just talk. How you believe, how you live, what you demonstrate really is your theology because everything else is just yada, 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 yada. It is my goal this morning to address more than what you say you believe, 
but how you live so that it is reflective of what you believe. So this morning, we're going to talk about hunger as a precursor to a series that we're going to start in two weeks. Um, next week, Daniel Grenz is going to be preaching, which I'm excited about. I'm not going to be here. I'll have to catch it later. But uh, Daniel said, hey, do you want me to stay in a certain series or do whatever? I said, I want to hear from your heart. I, I just want to hear whatever Lord lays on your heart. Um, I think hearing from a multitude of voices is good. And the Lord has put voices within our congregation that have, have his heart. So we're looking forward to hearing from Daniel. I am headed to Michigan next week to go to a pastor's convention. Uh, most of them are every bit as exciting as whatever you're just imagining right now. Um, no, I, it's, I'm like the least likely person to go to one of these. Uh, because I have like medically proven zero fear of missing out. Like, absolutely nothing. Don't need to go anywhere. Happy. My, my daughter-in-law is a traveler. She's on one trip planning her next one constantly. She always asks me, where would you go? If you could go anywhere, where would you want to go? I'm like, Best Buy? I don't know. I just, I'm not really, I'm not a goer. I'm not a goer, particularly to pastor's conventions. I went to one about three years ago and I didn't, no, I knew maybe three or four people there. So I go and I go to the first session and I don't know anybody. So I walk out. I'm an introvert. I'm fine not knowing anybody. I'm, you know, the conversations in my head are plenty. And so, but I realize I've come this far and eh, I probably should. So I decide I'm not going to go to my room and have a hamburger. I'm going to meet somebody and have lunch. So I'm standing there in the foyer and I see three pastors walk by because you can spot them. And I stopped them, I said, are you here with, with this pastor's gathering? And, and they said, yes, we are. And I said, listen, I don't know a soul here. I'm trying to connect. Can I jump in with you and have lunch? It looked like I had asked to borrow their car. They look at each other and they go, no. <laughs> True story. Now, to be fair, who knows what was going on in that meeting? It very likely, you know, they might have one, one guy might have been firing the other guy. I don't know. I didn't want to go to that lunch. But it, it, I ended up eating a hamburger in my room. All to say, all to say, I'm going to this one this weekend. I'm bringing my own friends. Okay, I'm kind of like, you guys come with me. And if anybody wants to have lunch, we're going to tell them, yes, we're going to do that. So I'll be gone next week, probably not eating a hamburger in my room, and uh, Daniel will be speaking. But the week after that, we are going into a series, and this message is kind of going to be the preamble for that. You understand the preamble? Yeah. You preamble the Constitution, we the people, da, 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 da. you know all that? Okay. The preamble sets the stage for the next thing. And so this message is a preamble to that. We're going to talk about hunger. Because when I get back, we're going to start a five-week series on the Holy Spirit and experiencing him. We're going to go through Pentecost on that. I want to be very intentional with this. Our talk about the Holy Spirit has got to be more than talk about the Holy Spirit. It's got to be experiential. I don't want to be full of facts about the Holy Spirit and not have any encounter with him. I want an experience, and I want that for us. I was in a meeting with some bridge leaders earlier this week and I said, I don't want to be three, four, five years down the road into the development of the bridge and have language about the Holy Spirit, but no stories or have an idea about what the Holy Spirit should do, but no experience. Jesus himself promised that we would have an experience with the Holy Spirit. John 16, 12, 15, he said, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. 
When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. In other words, the Holy Spirit is coming. You will have conversations with him, and he will reveal things to you that are of God's heart. We seem to believe for all kinds of promises and healing and buildings and all of these, these things, but here Jesus promises us and the apostles later describe what it means to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Do we pursue that promise with the same earnestness? We live in an age of tremendous spiritual discontent. Even people who were raised in the church had good solid foundations, whether they're national leaders or people that nobody knows. So many of them, we hear about people deconstructing their faith, tearing it down. And it's, it's fine to re-examine what you believe, that's healthy, but literally dismantling the parts that they struggle with. One of the greatest causes of spiritual discontent or boredom is a lack of connection with the Holy Spirit. Because being disconnected from the Holy Spirit, trying to please God or even interact with God is just impossible. We are under God's authority. We follow Jesus' leadership. But our primary point of contact with the Godhead is the Holy Spirit. God himself does not appear in your room. Jesus doesn't walk through the wall. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. And you're saying, okay, how do I encounter God? Through the Holy Spirit. To fail to incubate and maintain that relationship and discussion with the Holy Spirit is literally to try and walk with God without actually walking with God. Because that's how we do it. Andrew Murray was alive in the late 1800s into the early 1900s, a young man in Scotland who pursued a vocation of ministry without actually knowing the Lord. Like, upon his graduation, somebody led him to Jesus, for real. He gets sent to South Africa on behalf of the Dutch Reformed Church, where they assign him to pastor a tract of land 50,000 square miles. And he was the only Christian pastor in that area. He regularly got into hot water with his reformed brethren by teaching such radical things as men have a free will. He wrote a really powerful, simple book called Experiencing the Holy Spirit. It's 99 cents on Kindle right now. If you read on Kindle, go buy it, okay? 99 cents. And he says this about the Holy Spirit, and I, I want to go through this kind of slowly. Many Christians imagine that the only thing lacking in their life is more earnestness or more strength. And if they obtained these benefits, they would become all they ought to be. Stop there for a second. Many Christians believe that the only thing lacking is more earnestness or more strength. If I was stronger, if I was more sincere, if I worked harder, if I could muster something up, I wouldn't be failing at this walk with God. He goes on to say, it is only when the discovery is made that they are not in the right attitude towards the Holy Spirit that the way to something higher will ever be opened or even desired. Translation, some of you think if you just worked harder, if I just read the Bible more, if I just got up a little earlier, if I just did this, if I just did that, if I did all the things right, I would be more successful at my encounter with God. All of those things matter. But when you're at the end of your ability, 
only the Holy Spirit can make up the gap. And that is by design. You were never designed to encounter the Lord only based on your performance. You understand how toxic that gets in a hurry? You were designed to interact with God with the aid of the Holy Spirit. He's looking for partnership, not performance. If you are unsatisfied with your walk with God, what's the first thing you think of? I gotta fix this. I gotta do better. I've gotta do this, I've gotta do that. And we do have some responsibility, but haven't we all tried that a hundred times? You know what you need before you need more personal discipline? You need spiritual hunger. The reliance on personal discipline to become who God wants you to be indicates that it's all about performance. And if you perform, then you'll get God. Hunger is greater than performance. In fact, God cares far less about your performance before him than you do. You may be the only one who cares about your performance before him. Your friends aren't even keeping track. But you're letting that factor control your life. Scout's playing baseball this year. We went to his first baseball game yesterday. Seven-year-olds, pitching machine, 40-mile-an-hour wind. Okay? Like these poor little guys are like trying to hit sliders that were just not sliders when they were pitched. The ball is just doing this. There's, you know, there's one little, one little guy out there. He's swinging like he's trying to kill flies with this bat. You know, he's doing all he can. And of course, all of the parents are in the, in the stands and we're cheering them on no matter what happens. Why? We don't give a flip about performance. We just don't. Now, some of you are going, well, when my kid played, there was this one dad. There was. I mean, there's always that one dad, Right? who yells at his kid and the performance is never right, maybe not at seven, but eight, nine, 10. It gets, how many of you have seen a, a, a baseball or a soccer dad kind of go bonkers, okay? We've all, we've all seen it. And we all look at it and we go, that's bad parenting. He's yelling at his kid because they're not performing. Why are we projecting bad parenting on a perfect father? Why do we see this in humanity and we say that's terrible, but we think God is yelling at us from the backstop to do better? Perform. Hunger is better than performance. Getting hungry is the only way we will ever be satisfied. It seems backwards, but it's true. Psalm 107.9. For he has satisfied the thirsty soul, and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. So interesting, you read that whole passage, under, or overachievers aren't even mentioned. It's like, he fulfills the hungry and the top 10%. No, he's not even thinking about your performance. He's thinking about your hunger. The primary indicator of a person's satisfaction with the Lord is directly related to their hunger for the Lord. That seems so unintuitive, doesn't it? Like, wait, wait, the person that feels the greatest lack and they're so hungry, they get the most? There is so much about the kingdom that is upside down, this should not surprise you. The first should be the last, Blessed are the poor, the hungry will be satisfied. Hungry for what? For interaction with him, for the Holy Spirit. To walk in victory with God day after day, not just for a week, but I mean for decades, the long haul. Means a conscious trust and reliance on the Holy Spirit that begins with hunger rather than your effort. 
Before we get into this series of experiencing the Holy Spirit, I want to touch on a passage that's going to serve as kind of a rudder of sorts to guide us in our hunger, keep us straight as we navigate. It's in Psalm 42. And before I, I read the opening verses, let me just give you the backstory because the origins are almost always as, as fascinating as, as the actual text. Most of the Psalms were written by Thank you. I was like, I was, for a minute, I was going to get nothing. I was like, who's your pastor? Oh, uh, no, <laughs> David, okay? Most, but there are other psalms that were written by a, a variety of other people, including this songwriter's consortium called the Sons of Korah. Sons of Korah wrote a lot of the psalms. Now, the Sons of Korah have a very interesting history. They were Levites, and by the time of David's day, they were worship leaders of some sort. 2 Chronicles 20, 19 says, and the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites, or the sons of Korah, stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in a very loud voice. So the sons of Korah are singers, they're vocalists. They, they praise the Lord in song. Have you ever seen somebody in leadership position and you know their backstory and you thought, how did they get there? Right, like how on earth did that guy end up in front Worship leading. Sons of Korah were a little bit like that because they had an unusual path. If you go back to uh, Jerusalem High School, class of 980 BC, class reunion, 30 years later, everybody looks at the sons of Korah and goes, who knew? Because that family was whack. If you go back a couple hundred years, they were a redeemed line of people. Their family had a history of fighting with authority and of contention against leadership. And it goes back to their namesake, Korah, who led a rebellion against the leadership of Moses hundreds of years earlier. Numbers 16, starting in verse one. I am gonna get to Psalms, I promise. Now Korah, the son of Izzar, the son of Kohath, son of Levi and Daphne and Abraham and the sons of Eliab, and one of the sons of Pela, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? So Korah and a couple other guys gather 250 people. They come up against Moses and they say, who do you think you are, Mr. Come Down from the Mountain with the Tablets? Mr. Lead us wherever we go? Like, Mr. Hit the Rock and Water comes out, big deal, we can hear from God. And they have this rebellion. So the namesakes of the sons of Korah descend from this guy who led this rebellion 250 years earlier, kind of a premature reformation, saying we can all hear from God. How dare Moses claim to be the go-between? And God acts swiftly against these guys who've rebelled against leadership. November, uh, November, Numbers 26, 10 and 11 says, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah. And when the company died, when the fire devoured, devoured 250 men, they became a warning. Ground opens up, 250 guys fall into the crack in the ground, fire comes down on them, burns them in the ground. Let's just say they didn't see that coming. 
And the next passage says, but the sons of Korah did not die. So his descendants are standing there. Dad leads a rebellion, ground, fire. They're still standing there, a little traumatized perhaps. What does it do to a young person for them to see rebellion and then see the rebellious person you know, eaten by the ground and then burned? The line of Korah grew up and developed a very real fear of the Lord. They had watched their forefathers speak ill of the way God had done things and it cost them their lives. I can imagine the sons of Korah, the immediate ones, watching all of this happen. They're old enough to have witnessed it, but they were too young to really have been involved in it. And this all happens and they say, we don't know what we're going to do, but we're not going to do that. There's no way we're going to do that. For some of you, that's your parenting plan. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to do what I saw. I'm going to do it different. And that's legit. We've, we've got to learn not to repeat the foolish mistakes of our forefathers and go on to make our own foolish mistakes. But maybe the sons of Korah realized that God the Father was not to be messed with. In fact, they were so grateful for his mercy that they did not die. They became notable in Israel for worship. We don't know the exact story of how this all planned out. All we know is within a couple generations, they're Levites and they're ministering in the house of God. Doesn't matter how crazy your backstory is. You can go forward. When your wild and woolly history still leads you to worship, God says, that is somebody who is hungry. I can work with them. I can meet them where they are. So lest you think that this psalm that we are finally getting to is just about putting on a happy face, understand where they came from, what their people had gone through. In Psalm 42, 1 and 3 says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. He's talking about hunger here, spiritual hunger. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When, I, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all along, where is your God? One thing we were not prepared for when we moved to the southern frontier of Overland Park was the deer. Like we just, southern Kansas City is overrun with deer. I, I'm not kidding. I saw one a few weeks ago at 75th Street. Like, would you take a bus up here? How did you get here? But if you get to 135th, they're fairly common. You get to 143rd, even more at 159th. They're everywhere. Down where we live, there's actually deer on the HOA. They're everywhere. They're influential members of the community. And when you drive from our house anywhere, it's not, am I going to see a deer? It's, am I going to hit a deer? Because they're everywhere. And they're constantly crossing the road because the Blue River down there. And they just, like, I can't, we've, we've lost one car so far in the year and a half that we've been there and got a couple of close calls. And you see that and you think, what is that deer thinking of? Because the same deer, the same deer that six months ago during hunting season heard somebody tie their shoe up in a tree stand from 500 yards and ran because they're afraid of people, <laughs> will step in front of your 4,000-pound SUV and go, what of it? 
I'm crossing the road. Why? Because they're thirsty. Because the river's there and the food is there. And they will do whatever it takes. They will take any risk they need to take to get to the water. That's what he's talking about. Like a deer pants for the water, my soul longs for you. That's the kind of desperation they're writing about. Why is Bambi bolder than we are? We look at Bambi and we think, Bambi's a moron. Never in the history of the world has the deer won in a deer car collision. Been a couple of ties. But the deer never wins. And the deer looks at the guy in the SUV and says, he doesn't understand. I will do anything to get to water and I'll risk anything to get what I need. The Bible says hunger and thirst will lead us to fulfillment because hunger is greater than performance. Some of you are thinking this morning, I love this way forward. Like I like this idea of hunger being greater than performance. And I would love to relate to God out of hunger. The performance trap never caught my parents' eye. Some of you are thinking that. I performed and I performed and I performed. I never got the attention that I wanted from it. And I don't think I'll catch God's attention this way. So I love the idea that my hunger would attract his attention in a way that my performance wouldn't. But it sounds too easy. And I have questions. Questions like, why am I not hungry and thirsty? Like, I'm just not. When you talk about the things of God, Randy, I'm about as ambivalent as you are going anywhere. You're happy not to go, and I'm kind of content where I am. And when you read the words, as the deer pants for the water, my soul pants for you, you think, I like that idea, but I can't make myself feel that way. I can't muster that up. And wanting to muster it up, is that any really different than performance anyway? Here's the catch. You may be saying, I'm not thirsty and I'm not hungry for the things of God like you're describing, but we're all hungry for something. We just are. We're all driven to pursue things. We all see things that we want and we go after them. The problem with us is not lack of appetite. The problem is what we have satisfied ourselves with. Most of us are satisfying ourselves with something far below the threshold of what is available. And we fill ourselves with what we can get our hands on easily because we don't understand there's something better out there. If we really believed there was something better out there, we wouldn't binge on lesser things. We wouldn't settle and we would be hungry. Some of you are at the age still where uh, Thanksgiving is a, a pilgrimage event, right? You load everything into the car and you, you go, okay? Kelsey and I, some years ago, snapped over, we are now the destination, all right? We do not load everything's up. Now it means you're responsible for hosting the thing, but it's, it's better. It really is. It's better. And uh, there's a couple things that will always happen at Thanksgiving. All right, we're always going to laugh. Thanksgiving's meals, families, times at our house are fun. We're going to enjoy one another, and we are going to eat, all right? And if you had to X one of those off the timeline, the one that would cause the most frustration would be, we're not going to eat. 
You could say we're not going to laugh. We'll work on that. But you say we're not going to eat. There'd be a riot, particularly among the kids. One of those eaters is Creed. There's my man Creed. How are you, buddy? Creed, stand up for just a second. I won't ever make you do this again. Okay, there's one. Okay, that's Creed. This boy, you can sit. Okay. This boy, when Thanksgiving comes around, before Thanksgiving, he has something on his mind. This may not have been his first word, but it could have been. Pie. <laughs> Pie. We remember when he, him being four years old, fixated on pie. He's, he's a man of extreme focus. And it's just been like this forever. He will skip the potatoes. He will skip the vegetables. He will skip the cranberries with the little ridges. He will skip the turkey if he has to. But when he gets to pie, he will have an appetite. He comes into the room hungry and he says no to a lot of things, but the man knows what he wants and he gets pie. Everyone approaches the table of life hungry. There is a vacancy in our spirit that only God really satisfies, but a million other things can dull. Some of you have gone through the buffet of life and you got to the pie. And you say, I have done a terrible thing. I have no more room for the good stuff. Your two-year-old binges on animal crackers. Your five-year-old binges on chicken nuggets. Your 17-year-old binges on pizza. You binge on Facebook or cash or accolades or some way of filling up that gap. And then when it comes to being hungry for God, you're like, I, I just can't find it within myself. Because you're full. But you have filled yourself with the Cheetos of life. You don't want God at this point. You just want a nap. And because those other things come easy, and they're so easy to find, we fill ourselves with them, and the hunger within us never reaches the point of being hungry for God. Hungry and, hunger and thirst for God is dulled when we satisfy ourselves with lesser things. You will never develop a hunger for God so long as you're finding satisfaction in other places, even if that satisfaction is temporary. You know, for hundreds of years, the currency of society was whatever station your life was in, right? Like, however, whatever caste you were born in, if you were a landowner, you were a, a serf, or wherever you were, that's, that was the currency of how you did life. Then in the 18, 1900s, it became the currency of life became hard work. Because if you worked hard, you could get ahead and things changed, and, and that's what you were really proud of. Recent years, it's become more of technology and skills, the ability to do things that maybe your forefathers couldn't do. But now we live in an interesting age where the currency of our age is our attention span. We only have so much to give, and we have so much clamoring for it. And we're giving it away in little 15-second increments. Oh, look, look what that cat did. Oh, another cat. Oh, there's a... Video of a guy riding a bike. Oh, another cat. Like, and then we're at the end, we set it down, we're like, I'm tired, I'm full of cat videos. 
And the Lord is saying, come unto me all who are hungry. And like, I'm full on cats. I don't have the capacity. I don't have the attention span. I don't have anything left at the end of the day. I'm just going to lay down. So what do we do about it? Because some of us were going, I love this idea of hunger being greater than performance, but if I'm not hungry, what am I supposed to do? A couple of things you do, real quick. First of all, ask God when you are taking things in, whether you're watching things, your hobbies, whatever it is, ask God, what need is this fulfilling in my life? Be very honest about it. Do you ever have to evaluate your intake? Been in the hospital, had to write down everything that you're, you're eating, whatever. My, my uh, second son was spent 10 days in the burn center when he was 15. And when, when you're burned, they want you to eat a lot because it's, it's healing your skin, it's reforming itself. So here he is, 15-year-old kid laying in a bed and they tell him, we need you to eat 4,000 calories a day. 4,000 calories a day is a lot. It's a lot for an athlete. For a 15-year-old kid laying in a hospital, it was almost like torture. We were trying to push calories in this kid. Kelsey literally went to Starbucks and said, what do you have that has the most calories in it? I'll take one. The manager is probably still wondering, what was wrong with that woman? Why on earth did she ask that? Nobody asks that. We're going to Chipotle, getting a double everything. You know, and he had to eat it by midnight every night. Some nights it was like, it's 1130, 3500. You got to eat these 500 calories. But they kept track of everything that he ate. Every time you have a spare moment and you reach for something to fill that moment, if it's a book, a hobby, a phone, a computer, whatever it is, stop, take note of it, and ask, what need is this fulfilling? Like, what? what, what? And there are legitimate reasons to do those things. Okay, I'm going to go exercise. Well, what need is that? Feel? Well, because, you know, I'm gaining on 55 and it's not working for me very well. There are reasons to do those things, but identify those things. You will be surprised at how much, thing, how much you take in that you can't explain why you even want it. I'm going to invest time to do this. Well, why? What is the purpose that it serves? Uh, I don't know. Am I hungry? Or am I bored? Am I trying to get away from something? Am I avoiding something? What is what I am taking in doing? And can God address those needs? And can I ask him to do that before I reach for my preferred sedative? When you start to get honest about why you spend your time the way you spend your time, you'll realize that these things that you are so deeply invested in are not what you're really hungry for. You're like, I'm investing so many hours into this and it is like eating Cheetos. Mildly entertaining in the moment and I'm going to regret this. Why do you take in what you take in? Second thing to remember is if you change your diet, you can change your appetite. That sounds better. Sounds like your appetite drives rich. And there were these two women who were uh, Syrian but they were southern fried Syrian, okay? Imagine Syrian women with a deep East Tennessee accent. And we got invited to their family Easter every year. And we would go, and they would always serve this Syrian dish, Middle Eastern dish, I guess. Uh, and the name of it is kibbeh. Now, they called it kibbeh. 
because apparently a couple generations in East Tennessee changes everything. But they would, and they would say, have this, it's kid beat. I'm like, okay, and I had it, and I didn't like it. And uh, so I asked about kidby. What is kidby? Kidby is a mixture of onions, bulgur, which is like a, a Durham product, and raw meat. And you're done. Like that's the whole recipe and the plan for making. It's not just ingredients. It's, it's, it's raw meat. But I discovered over subsequent Easter's that every time I ate a little kidby, like after the fourth or fifth year, I'm walking in, elbowing out the cousins. Get me to the kidby. Like I liked it. It was good. You're, you change your diet, you actually change your appetite. You begin to like things that you didn't like before. Some of you think, I'll never be one of those crazy people who talks about being hungry for God. Try him. You might like him. Easy way to do this on a day-to-day basis in encountering him, and this is going to sound, you're like, I sat through 30 minutes for this, like this is the key. If you actually do this, some of this will change your life in a major way. Every day, Bible before phone. You're like, I was hoping for something more complicated. I know, because if it was complicated, you could not do it. You know, there's always a reason not to do something complicated. But every day, Bible before phone. Well, what if, what if my Bible is on the phone? You know what I mean, okay? You know what I mean. Make getting in the Word a priority for you, and you will develop an appetite for the Word that you did not know you had. And for some of you, it means making a, a real change. You're going to have to give up some personal time. You're going to have to do something different. For me, what took for me to do this is I had to sign up for a ridiculous Bible reading program that I had to just binge reading as fast as I could to do it. But when I was done, I had such an appreciation for the Bible that I didn't have before. You change your appetite, you actually can change what you're hungry for. It may start out feeling like your first day of Kidby. (laughs) Raw meat and onions. But it will change what your appetite is. Finally, loudly declare, God, I believe you can meet my need, so I am coming to you first. I'm going to come to you before anything else, and I'm coming to you in worship because in worshiping you, I can display hunger. It's actually spiritually, worship is a very spiritually aggressive thing to do. We've got just a little time here. I'm actually going to cut things short. I'm going to ask if the worship team would come back. Because we want to do a clinic in this, okay? I've been, I've been reading a lot of John Wimber stuff. Wimber was great about teaching on something and say, okay, let's do it. Freaking people out. People are much more comfortable if you just teach about it. But some of you are a little bit provoked right now about your own lack of hunger. And you really identified with that idea of, yeah, I don't even have it there. Worship puts your basic desires in perspective and focuses on your greatest needs. Doctors describe something called the limbic system. It's the part of your brain related to the most base functions, okay? Psychologists actually call it your lizard brain. And they call it that because it is everything, it controls everything that basically a lizard needs to do. Eat, run, sleep, the very basic things. 
Our lizard brain controls most of our day. Worship moves you beyond your lizard brain. It moves you into thinking about higher things. It's warfare against that. When you come into a worship service and you declare your intentions to God, maybe not your reality, but your intentions. Lord, I'm hungry for you. All of this happened, yes, you know that, but I'm hungry for you. It stirs up the hunger within you. One of the reasons we worship corporately, a lot of reasons, but one reason is literally to stir hunger among us. Because we don't all come in on the same page. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. We actually stir ourselves up when we gather and we worship. So I'm going to ask you all to stand. We touched something in worship this morning. It was very sweet. Like, we were right there. We can go back there. So without a delay, I just encourage you to engage in worship and begin to declare your hunger for Him. Set your appetite for Him and for these coming weeks. Because we are going to go after this and after the presence of the Holy Spirit. But he comes, he's drawn to hunger. He's not drawn to performance. So Father, as we worship in these closing moments, right now, we ask that you would find us hungry. We ask that you would find us longing for you, oh God. If you don't know what to do, raise your hands, begin to speak of your hunger to him. Father, come. We want you, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray you would meet us where we are. You would stir our hearts. There's got to be more than what we've seen, God. There's got to be more than what we've seen. We're hungry, Jesus. I'm lost without you. Sing it to him now. Father, we are lost without you. for the water. We're hungry for you, Jesus. Your holy presence living in me and you are my daily bread you are my
this. We're going to continue in worship. Stay right where you're at. But if there's a, a flicker of hunger in your heart, like, Randy, I'm not all there yet, but I want it. Just wanting to have it is actually it. I want to open up a prayer mic this morning. And I want to encourage you, four or five, six of us, however many, take a moment, step to the mic, declare your hunger to him. He goes where he finds people that are hungry. You're like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. You don't know what it does for somebody else to hear that you're hungry. So Lord, right now we declare our hunger for you, our deep want and our deep desire to know you. as a people, as individuals, God. Father, would you hear us? Jesus. For some of you, this would be driving a stake in the ground. This is what I want. I may not be as hungry as I need to be, but I want to be. Even wanting it. Is the beginning. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, Jesus, we need you. Lord, I stand before you today and I declare that I am hungry for you. Yes, I am thirsty for you. Yes. And I am desperate for you. Nothing else can satisfy. I know this renew in me hunger, thirst, a clean heart all that you provide all that you offer please give me all that I need for life and godliness like you promised God I ask you today yes and declare my hunger just come before you and uh, I proclaim Lord God that I'm hungry for you would you remove any other thing Lord God that takes my appetite from your word that takes away my appetite for the deep mysteries of Christ Yes, Lord I ask you I ask you today Lord God that you would just interfere and shake up the rut Lord God that I've been in the rut Lord Jesus of of trying to make it the rut Lord God of trying to be something Lord Jesus I just ask you today that you would shake up my life Lord God that the focus would be back on you and the worship would be back on you, Lord God. Lord, I can be easily distracted by making everybody else's life good and everybody else's life quality. Lord God, I ask you today that your Holy Spirit would refocus my eyes, Lord God, 
that dulls my heart towards you that you will remove the things Lord Jesus that make me say okay but that's just you father I ask you that I would be surprised when you walk into the room God I ask you that it wouldn't be that it would be in a, uh, a surprise and that I won't treat you like a common thing Lord Jesus, that I won't treat your spirit like a common thing. Father, that I would be so hungry for you and so desperate friends and families that I encounter, Lord God, give me. I say sorry for, I've got fear about the future and sometimes I don't know how to deal with it. When I think about the earth and I think about just some of my own personal things, Lord. I, I, I check out and I zone out and I scroll through Facebook TV or weird cat videos, whatever it is. God, I just really want to repent. I am distracted and I want, I just know that the best thing I can do is to turn my phone on aeroplane mode and to seek You in the Word. And I just confess o- over myself that Like I am made to worship and I am quite know how to deal with something or where I act to myself. And I just want to say, I am sorry. And would you forgive me, Jesus? And I confess over my life that my eyes were made to look at you, Jesus. And I ask that you would help me. And I say that I am that I'm made to be hungry for You. And I, I do, I ask that in these coming days, You would help me to starve myself of those things that I've filled up my life with, social media or TV or whatever. And You would help me to seek Your face, Jesus. In Jesus' Name. Jesus, I ask that I wouldn't thirst for You and that I wouldn't Father, I declare that I am hungry for you. Yes. Yes. And right now I want to surrender this evening and the evenings of life to you. Lord, I haven't given them to you. And I invite you back into the evening. Before I go to bed, when I'm distracted and doing what I want to do, I just give you the evening. And Lord, I ask that you would show me your hunger for me, that you would reignite the fire of your hunger for me so that I can have hunger for you. God, I just declare it's not about perfection it's about connection in jesus jesus i declare that i am yours that i wake up in the morning and that you called me your child would you give me a hunger to be able to read your word that it's not just pages on a book but that the words of life actually overflow from my heart to other people Would you not let me be distracted from my phone, from my friends, 
from anything in the world, would you capture my heart and let me only be in front of you. Let my eyes be fixated on your beauty, on who you are, not anyone else but you. Jesus, let me yearn. Let me yearn for your return. Let me yearn for who you are. Let me not care about anything. Let my focus be just on you and your eyes of goodness and of grace. Distracted by the world, not be caught up in what's happening with the news, with war. Teach me how to love, to see you rightly, to be able to talk to people and all they hear is you, all they see is you because you consume my life. Let me eat healthy so I actually can be healthy and just love you and the body that you've created me in. Let me love others the way that you love me. Let me be able to sit at your feet and not be thinking about what's next doing with my life, but let my life purpose be just to serve you and you alone. And Jesus Father, we declare as a church family our hunger for you. Our utter dissection with everything else in life. Knowing that those that are hungry will be filled. Pray you would take what you have done in people's hearts, you would seal it this morning. We would live differently. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. It's noon. You're hungry one way or the other. God bless you.